Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Luciano Resende. Luciano is an open source AI platform architect at IBM and part of the Center for Open Source Data and AI Technology there, also known as Codate. Luciano, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. So Luciano, it is great to have you on the show, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you about a project that you spent a lot of time working on, uh, in particular Jupyter uh, Notebook and the Jupyter Notebook ecosystem. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you got started working at this uh, the intersection of open source and data and AI. Great. Uh, let me start. So like, I've been working with open source for a long time. I've been contributing to uh, projects at Apache and other areas uh, on the open source ecosystem for over 10 years. And uh, more towards getting into this uh, Jupyter ecosystem part, a couple of years ago, we started uh, seeing a more and more adoption of the notebooks as a way for doing interactive development for data science uh, and recently for AI as well. And uh, when talking to uh, external or internal customers, we uh, had a need to basically scale that platform for a large number of concurrent users. So like you go to a financial uh, institution and they might have like 500 data scientists that comes in the morning, will launch their notebook, and they need to be able to do all the crunch of the data that they have to start getting insights from that. And we didn't have a very good solution for that. We also were looking to building the IBM platform uh, the Watson Studio, and we needed a, a similar solution. Uh, and that's how we started the Jupyter Enterprise uh, Gateway. Uh, basically, what we do in Jupyter Enterprise Gateway, uh, we are a lightweight, multi-tenant, scalable, and secure gateway that enables Jupyter Notebooks to start sharing resources across an Apache Spark cluster or a Kubernetes clusters, and we focus a lot on the enterprise and cloud use cases for that. You know, I'm starting to hear quite a bit of uh, interest on the part of enterprises uh, and folks that are working in building out platforms and infrastructure for data science and machine learning teams about uh, the idea of kind of standing up Jupyter Notebook uh, instances for their teams. You know, as you kind of think about the the the, the way Jupyter is being used in large organizations, what are some of the big challenges that folks run into? So uh, Jupyter Notebooks, they, they are evolution from a Python console. And because of that, we see it, some limitations that came from that uh, past instances. And Jupyter, by default, uh, it's a single user uh, kind of like environment. And all the kernels, which are the actually runtime of the uh, that executes the code, uh, it's default to run as a local process. And what we see is that it doesn't scale to the needs that we need on enterprise or large deployments. And then on on the Jupyter ecosystems, we started seeing a lot of like uh, projects that are kind of like built as an add-on 
to Jupiter and start solving some of those limitations. And the idea is that at the end, you can start building a self-service platform for data science and AI. So when we look, uh, for example, uh, Jupyter Hub gives you the ability to start uh, providing multi-user uh, authentication for those notebooks. Um, and then Jupyter Enterprise Gateway starts to scale the runtime and distribute that into uh, either a Spark cluster or a Kubernetes cluster. And that's the direction that we are seeing uh, things go into the Jupyter ecosystem at these days. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. The differences between Jupyter Hub and Jupyter Enterprise Gateway. Is it uh, is it all about kind of where the backend kernels are run or are there other differences? So, uh, as I mentioned, there, we need a way to start launching uh, a, an environment for multiple users. Uh, so, provide a multi-tenant support. And what Jupyter Hub does it's kind of like a launcher of a Jupyter server. So each user that requests an environment gets a Jupyter server uh, runtime for for doing its computation. Then when you get that environment, you then start using multiple notebooks. Those notebooks uh, require a kernel to execute the code. And then that's when Jupyter Enterprise Gateway comes into mind so that you can have a very lean uh, Jupyter server uh, environment launched by uh, Jupyter Hub, and the runtime then it goes across a cluster, and you can start having multiple uh, notebooks at the same time. But if you close a notebook, you you let go of those resources and make it available to other data scientists on the platform. Uh, it also enables you to start sharing uh, more expensive uh, resources, like for example, if you're doing AI and you need GPUs, uh, we provided a way to containerize that and then be able to associate the number of uh, GPUs, for example, or other resources per kernel that you get launched. And because those are decoupled, those come and go as you're using them and not necessarily the whole time that your notebook server is up. Okay, so... It sounds like then the typical organization will use both Jupyter Hub as kind of the front end and then Enterprise Gateway as a way to distribute the back end kernels, but they're not alternative products, they're complementary. They are definitely compl- they are definitely complementary. They 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 work very well together. Uh, yes. So you mentioned both uh Spark and Kubernetes as services that you can use to provide the backend distributed computing framework for these uh, these kernels. The What's the current mix that you see of those two options? Is one more popular than the other? I, I think it really depends on the type of workloads that you're processing. Uh, what I see Spark at use is more for like analytics where you have a lot of like data and you, you might start processing, crunching those data, and then applying some kind of like a machine learning on top of that. And we, with the recent uh, release that we have, the, the Enterprise Gateway uh, 2.0, we support uh, not only if you have like a, a legacy uh, Spark deployment based on like a HDFS and Hadoop uh, distribution, but we also support uh, Spark on Kubernetes. So if you're doing analytics, you're most likely going to use a Spark runtime, and, and, and that's why we initially started supporting that. With uh, more the AI workloads, what we have seen 
is a lot of like uh, uh, AI platforms for training models and, and deploying models all based on Kubernetes. And the reason I think uh, for that is that Kubernetes provides you kind of like the right uh, sandbox uh, with containers. And that enables you to, for example, start a Python kernel, but if you're doing a, a TensorFlow uh, model, you just come and say, okay, I want a Python kernel based on a, a, a TensorFlow image. And you start mixing and matching your environment with the kernel that you need, and then you can have a, a very specific environment and close it in the container. And another uh, AI engineer might completely have a completely different one and, and, and Kubernetes manage and and uh, all the deployment, anything that needs to happen on that. And we manage the life cycle and give the connectivity to uh, notebooks to be able to actually uh, uh, execute and, and train your models on a, a Kubernetes environment. Uh, now, I've had several conversations with organizations. Airbnb is one that comes to mind that have invested pretty heavily in customizing uh, Jupyter Notebook. And in some ways, you know, maybe they, they've duplicated uh, what you've done or, you know, went to, to build it because what you've done, you know, either wasn't ready on their time frame or, um, you know, didn't offer, you know, features that they needed. And I'm wondering in general, where do you see folks investing heavily in you know, customizing Jupiter to build it into their workflows? Like, what are some of the key gaps maybe in what's currently available or some of the ways that, you know, organizations might want it to be more tightly integrated? Uh, what I've been seeing on in the industry is a lot of, like, customization around, like, uh, your internal environment and integration with some of the tools uh, you might need to get some of the, the outputs of your notebooks to a, a given platform that is available only internally. And that's a lot of the things that I've been seeing. And when you go, I think, uh, with JupyterLab, which is a new uh, UI for the Jupyter Notebook, uh, those kind of uh, customizations and ability to start bringing up widgets are, are going to become much more flexible and easy to uh, deploy or customize. And then in terms of like runtime, I think what I've been seeing is a lot of like uh, trying to accomplish multi-tenant by deploying um, multiple environments for uh, different users, but it's a, it's a duplication of that environment and not like a decoupling uh, the actual uh, execution of the kernel with the Jupyter Notebook. Uh, and, and that's how uh, Jupyter Enterprise Gateway came to be. Can you elaborate on that last part when you say uh, it's a duplication? In, in what sense? So uh, Jupyter Hub, uh, as as you were saying, uh, was available prior uh, a lot prior than uh, Enterprise Gateway. And uh, initially, what I've seen people doing before Enterprise Gateway is that they will start a Jupyter server for each user, and then uh, that instance of the Jupyter server will have to have all the resources required for any type of workload that the user needs to do. Uh, that is an okay solution, but all those resources get log, uh, locked for a long time. Uh, 
And, and, and in that case, I think a lot of those resources might be in an idle position and not be able to be reused by other members of your platform or other data scientists that wants to do some computations. You also mentioned kind of integrating with internal systems and security and things like that as a big motivator for folks. Are the the Jupyter notebook and, and this kind of ecosystem APIs, do they, you know, lend themselves to folks doing this kind of integration? Is it, you know, is it difficult? Like, where is it on the scale of built for this and easy to do or, you know, really difficult to do and requires a lot of jumping through hoops? Ah, that's a good question. Let me look into different perspectives here. So uh, imagine you're a data scientist and you're doing uh, uh, running your workloads with Jupyter. Uh, you will not see any difference in terms of like user experience if you're using Enterprise Gateway on the back end or not. Um, if you are a kind of like DevOps and, and you are providing that environment for your data scientists, uh, pretty much what you need to do is customize the uh, kernel definition. And instead of saying that it's just a local kernel, you will switch to a different uh, lifecycle manager and say, this is a remote kernel. We call it process proxy. We have uh, different lifecycle managers for each resource manager. So we have one for Yarn. We will have one for Kubernetes. Uh, and that is extensible. So people have been coming in and providing others as well. Um, and depending on the one that you choose, the, the resource manager that you choose, you can then uh, add additional information needed. So like, for example, if you choose Yarn, you might want to pass like uh, your Spark Home information. If you choose Kubernetes, uh, you might uh, not need anything specific or, or depends on how it goes in terms of configurations. But once, once that is properly configured, we handle most of the uh, hard work internally on the tool uh, by automating all the life cycle, like starting the kernel remotely, figuring out where it actually launched, uh, providing the configuration back to Jupyter so that the end-to-end -end, uh, communication can be uh, connected. So it, it's, to a certain extent, not very hard to, to get an environment going. And we also have been doing lots of tools uh, like Ansible scripts where you can deploy Enterprise Gateway uh, from scratch or from an existing environment uh, for both Spark and Kubernetes uh, runtimes. And so the work to create this remotely executable or invocable kernel, was that already in existence in the Jupyter ecosystem, or is that part of the work that Enterprise Gateway needed to do in order to to exist, really? Uh, yes. So uh, the kernels in itself is nothing new that we created. The kernels were available before uh, in Jupyter, and today I think we have a list of like over 100 kernels available. The kernels, they will, deco uh, they will abstract uh, the languages that you are using. So, for example, if you uh, are doing Python, you have a Python kernel. If you're doing Scala, you have a Scala kernel. What Enterprise Gateway brings is the ability to decouple those that originally were running as local process to be run remote. That's the main thing that uh, Enterprise Gateway brings. And around that came a lot of uh, 
the requirements such as security, uh, how to handle uh, a multi-tenant so that the users that are actually requesting the kernel are the ones that are running the kernels on the runtimes as well. And we started leveraging uh, the capabilities that we had to handle all of those uh, additional requirements in Enterprise Gateway. I'll occasionally hear from folks that are using Kubernetes for these types of workloads that they run into challenges with the kind of out-of-the-box Kubernetes scheduler. Uh, is that something that you've seen for uh, running these kernels? We haven't experienced any particular issue with the schedule uh, at the moment. Uh, we also like uh, haven't heard from any users. I think most of the users at the moment are going more for the Kubernetes uh, environment, and we haven't heard anything specifically to that uh, from them yet. I guess that one of the other things that I hear from folks about kind of the way they want to use Jupyter is uh, to integrate it with, for example, you know, more tightly uh, with Git repositories and shared file systems and kind of have these resources easily accessible by data scientists and machine learning engineers, kind of wherever they spin up their uh, their notebooks. Is that something that uh, you see as well? And is it uh, a piece of what's offered by the current notebook ecosystem? That's definitely something that I uh, hear a lot. Uh, I think the Jupyter Notebook and as well the new uh, UI, Jupyter Lab, have the ability to... Uh, to have extensions built on top of that. Particularly on the Jupyter Lab, I've seen, for example, integration with uh, uh, Git repositories, uh, and you can easily or transparently uh, get things back and forth uh, based on how you're progressing with your notebook. I think another thing that I also hear a lot, and currently I don't think it's available, or at least not uh, easily available on the open source, is the ability to start doing collaboration uh that is something that like sharing and having uh, multiple people looking to the notebook and maybe try to collaborate on that i think it's one thing that need really needs to come and be available on the open source in the Jupyter ecosystem and that's not available today yeah i think uh google collab is uh an offering that comes to mind that does a pretty nice job at uh you know showing what a collaborative notebook experience might look like and i can imagine uh, that's kind of creating a lot of demand for folks that want to use something similar, but in a native Jupyter type of an environment. That is correct. I mean, I, I've seen uh, commercial solutions that uh, start offering those, but in the open source or more like on the academia, uh, we, we haven't seen an open source solution that handles that. Okay. You, you mentioned that, you know, there are hundreds of kernels uh, for Jupyter uh, which I actually find kind of surprising. I mean, I don't, you know, when I click down that kernels button, it only ever says Python 2 or 3. <laughs> and I'm wondering, uh, you know, to what extent my experience is reflective, you know, broadly or, you know, or, you know, in general, like how much of uh, the Jupyter ecosystem is kind of Python centric and is Python users and, and how much of it is uh, folks that are trying to do other things beyond Python? Uh-huh. I think that three, at least commercially, like on, on more uh, enterprise environments, what we have seen is uh, Python, the number one, uh, R, the second, 
and those are mostly data scientists. And then uh, some data engineers, particularly the ones working on uh, analytics workloads, uh, they also use Scala for particularly integrating with uh, Spark. And you mostly see Python, because Python, like if you have an environment like Anaconda or uh, any other way, Python most likely will be natively available for you. Uh, the other kernels are, uh, you can easily install those. They will just, uh, after installation, start appearing as one of the options into your Jupyter, note, uh, Jupyter Notebook environment. And particularly in academia, then you start seeing Julia, uh, C++, and other kernels that uh, are very used on that uh, on that community. So and that's why you have a list of like over 100 kernels available today. Okay. Uh, and for folks that are, uh, can you maybe, are there uh, specific companies or examples that you can share about, you know, what folks have managed to do with the Enterprise Gateway? Uh, one of the examples that I can give you internally is uh, IBM Watson Studio. In order to be able to scale the notebook environment that we provide as part of Watson Studio, we use Enterprise Gateway uh, to not only remote the kernels, but also to give you a choice on where you want to run those kernels. We have uh, different runtimes that we support, and you can select those runtimes as where you want to run uh, the ex- where you want to have the execution of the notebook uh, runtime. Um, another example, and this is just from Strata. We were at Strata uh, yesterday. And PayPal was giving a very interesting uh, presentation on how they were using Enterprise Gateway to be able to build their internal platform for data scientists and AI. So these are two examples that comes to mind. There are probably more, uh, but particularly because we are open source, we only hear from them when they have an issue that gets reported uh, or maybe like through a conference or something like that. Is it currently at a production-ready state? Sounds like PayPal, at least, and IBM are using it in production. How mature would you say it is? So uh, we have two code streams that we are maintaining at uh, Jupyter Enterprise Gateway. We have what we call the 1x release, uh, which uh, supports Spark. It's mostly focused on uh, analytics workloads, and that has been stable and being used right internally by products and, and a lot have been available in the open source for a long time. Uh, probably uh, over a year or around close to a year and a half. And we have maintaining that uh, in terms of like uh, any new bugs that we see around that or any dependencies that need to be updated for security reasons or anything like that. In parallel, we then uh, are working on our 2.0 release, which uh, two days ago we launched the 2.0 uh, uh, RC1 release candidate one. And that brings a lot of like innovation that we are doing on uh, Kubernetes environment. Having said that, uh, based on the questions and uh, issues that we are getting, we have seen a lot of people experimenting, going more towards that direction and using the tool already to build their uh, analytics environments on top of uh, Kubernetes. So, and hopefully that will also be available as a uh, GA in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, based on whatever feedback we get from the RC one. And is the enterprise gateway functionality independent of the kernel that's being used, or are there some uh, limitations or dependencies there? 
so it, it, it is supposed to be independent. Uh, what we have done, we created a, a layer called uh, kernel launcher that give us the ability to uh, enhance the kernels uh, functionality, particularly for startup and shutdown. Uh, and we have tested a lot with uh, Py- the Python, DR, and Scala kernels, which are the most requested and the most used for us. Uh, and, and things that we do is like, for example, if you are starting a kernel and that kernel is connecting to Spark, we create, for example, a re- uh, parallel thread to start the Spark context. So it gives you a better and quicker user experience for the startup of the kernel. Uh, we need the ability to provide uh, remote signaling so you then you can hit like a, a stop the kernel and things like that. And we need to flow that externally to a remote kernel. And the, the launcher kind of does that as well. But that kernel launcher uh, can be easily ported or, or used for a different kernel. Um, so uh, the addition of new kernels shouldn't be very hard to, to incorporate into Enterprise Gateway. I'm curious about uh, the requirements that users have when architecting environments for Enterprise Gateway. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind, for example, is uh, you know when you're running your kernel locally, you've got typically data locally. If you're starting to remote your kernel, then the kernel's operating against uh, data that's remote. I'm wondering if there are uh, network or bandwidth considerations or, uh, you know, any kinds of issues that an organization might want to think about as they're architecting uh, an enterprise gateway uh, environment and generally kind of how, you know, straightforward that process is or their tools that are available for like capacity planning, things like that. I completely agree with the type of considerations that you're bringing up. I just, uh, from what I'm seeing, these are not specific to when you're trying to deploy Enterprise Gateway, and it's a request more in general. So if you're doing analytics, uh, the data will be most likely in a Spark cluster, but in a uh, distributed file system like HDFS or some kind of like object storage environment. And you have like shuffling of data going back and forth, independent if you're using Enterprise Gateway or not. So that should have been part of like planning the deployment of Spark in particularly. Uh, if we consider uh, the Kubernetes environment, Kubernetes will most likely have uh, multiple microservices being together uh, to bring up a solution. And you will have similar type of uh, uh, constraints regarding data uh, flowing uh, and any other things like that. The, the Easiest way that I've been seeing in more like a Kubernetes environment is we give the ability to do uh, mappings into uh, volumes into the, the specific container. And by doing that, you can have the user environment available in that kernel uh, kernel image. And that helps you uh, alleviate most of these constraints by maybe providing data, maybe providing uh, a, a environment with uh, the specific packages that you might need uh, for a given user on that mount, and that should uh, solve some of these problems. Okay. So it sounds like there's nothing particularly 
uh, exotic or unknown or, um, you know, that needs special attention here. It's kind of the typical considerations when architecting a distributed environment for these kinds of workloads. Exactly. Granted that this is uh, this capability that we're talking about, particularly with uh, Kubernetes, is, you know, something that was just announced a couple of days ago. Uh, or released a couple of days ago, but are there are there uh, any other kinds of issues that you hear a lot about uh, that folks run into that you know maybe you wish more people would think about before they embark on this path? Maybe a little bit unrelated, but uh, in the context of the Jupyter ecosystem, what I I, I see a lot of discussions of like uh, uh, what is the notion of uh, a, a notebook and how it incorporates on your, let's say, model training pipeline and things like that. And most uh, cases that I've seen, people would use the notebook for kind of like a, a evaluation, taking a look at the data and, and playing with uh, your model, but will actually convert the notebook into a Python file, for example when they are kind of like ready to do a, a big training or, or start getting close to go to production. In my in my mind, the notebooks can become a little bit more kind of like first-class citizens uh, on those pipelines for model training and actually be one of those steps, uh, actually be the notebook in itself and not necessarily uh, go to a pipeline as a converted Python file. And, and I think once we have that, uh, it's going to be much more productive. The data scientists can come up with something that then goes directly into uh, uh, the pipeline, produces the model, and then can recreate the model later on if needed without any kind of like a, a collaboration maybe with a system engineers to convert to a Python or anything like that. And what needs to happen in order to get there from a kind of Jupyter ecosystem perspective? Uh, we have been seeing tools that it starts to enable that. I think it's uh, mostly in uh, a state of mind of like how people see uh, the notebooks. And uh, they initially were a lot used for kind of like experimenting with data, trying to understand the data and trying to build models, but not necessarily maybe because those tools were not available yet go into production. And I think today we have seen like a, a Netflix coming out with Paper Mill, a couple of other uh, schedulers also coming out and supporting notebooks. Uh, I My hope is that I will start seeing more of that uh, being part of the pipeline for model development. All right, Luciano, this, this has been really great. I'm wondering if you've got any final thoughts or tips or ideas for folks that are using Jupyter, uh, maybe as individual data scientists and want to use it more broadly uh, in their enterprises? Oh, definitely. I think one of the things that I've seen, and and, and it's interesting that uh, a lot of people still uh, use and know about the Jupyter, uh, what I call like classic UI, but are not aware of like Jupyter Lab. Uh, Jupyter Lab gives you uh, a lot of like uh, flexibility and, and a better UI to do uh, uh, your model development, and that gives you uh, ability to start having like terminals, multiple tabs, all together, and provide a much more integrated development environment for for the model development. 
Awesome. Awesome. So folks should definitely uh, check that out. Well, Luciano, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Okay. Thanks, Sam. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.